Thank you for listening to Crossing Cultures. If you have been enjoying this show, please share it with a friend. Word of mouth is always great, but you can also help by sharing our podcast with someone. You can also follow us on Instagram at crossing.cultures or on Facebook. Sharing a social media post is always a great way to spread the word. And now, here's our next episode of Crossing Cultures. Do you want to kind of even give a little, like, hey. narrative narrative here? Am I on? Yeah. Hey! Uh, yeah, we're here at our, this is called the park, we call it the park, here in TJ. And we're right, right behind me is the border, about, you know, 300 meters down. You can't really see it, but that, in that direction. We got about 400 people that are here. This is their last staging area before they uh, get up to the border. It could be anywhere from 10 hours here to, I don't know, 30 hours, we don't know. It kind of keeps on changing, but like I said, there's about 400 people in this area, and um, we've had a lot of problems with like rats and uh, just unsanitary, but we're doing our best. That was our friend Andy Ziesmer interviewing Phil on site at the park. Last episode, we left off in the beginning stages of this operation as we struggled to figure out how to help our Ukrainian friends. From Ukraine, to the park, to the Calvary San Diego hub, we had volunteers working tirelessly, nonstop, to help in any way they could. From transportation, to housing, to hospitality services, our volunteers answered the call when they saw the hard journey and help needed from our Ukrainian guests. However, as more and more Ukrainians came to Mexico from Europe, it became evident that the park and Calvary San Diego hub would not be able to meet the needs that were in front of us. We needed to find a new way to house and transport our Ukrainian friends and quick. Here are our friends, Luis and Bella, sharing a bit about how things operated at the Calvary Hub. What am I doing? What are we just doing? Just like a, just some talking head narration. Yeah, so in general, what's happening right now, um, you see a lot of people here. Some of them are volunteers. Some of them are guests that have come from Ukraine. Um, for, you know, what I'm doing right now personally is I've been helping coordinating rides so that these people can get from the hub, which is what this is, to the airport. We also have people working on getting housing for people um, and people just helping, you know, sitting here because cars will come all day just like dropping off stuff and we'll just grab it and take it into our storage. It's over here actually. We have like a bunch of random stuff. This is kind of where we sort things. We'll get it, drop it off, put it there, and then back here where all these lovely ladies are. We have a whole stash of things back here as well. So we have like shampoos and medicine and all this fun stuff. So every day when donations just pile in, I'm here most of the time just like organizing all of it. So then refugees can come in and just grab like whatever they need, like deodorant or sunscreen or that. With little labels we'll probably put in Russian eventually. So it's fun stuff. So, so yeah, just random things, checking people in, sending them off back to where they need to go. Peace. Hi, my name is Phil Metzger, and in 1992 I moved to Moscow, Russia. From there I lived in the beautiful Central European country of Hungary, where my family and I spent the next 20 years living, learning, and sharing about Jesus. Different foods, culture, and language, but underneath it all we discovered the most amazing people. We learned that to share the gospel effectively, we had to adjust. We had to cross cultures. Now we're back in the U.S. and we're discovering that this country is a melting pot of culture. This show is committed to helping Christians connect to those who think, believe, and live differently than them. This is Crossing Cultures. 
I was thinking of that that Friday that um, we were texting back and forth, Phil, before it all went down, and we got jumped, we got dumped into uh, those Telegram group chats. Oh yeah. And the, and it was like the it was literally titled in Ukrainian, like the Ukrainian refugee group chat. And when we first heard about it, it was like a handful of families, and that's when that Sacramento church got involved. And then when we got dumped in, there was like a few hundred people, maybe like two or three hundred yeah. people. And then Saturday we went to check it out. There was like a thousand people. Yeah. Then Sunday it was like seven thousand people. And when we started opening our doors that Monday, it was already up to fourteen thousand yeah. people. And it was like, all right, like here's this is the eye of the hurricane. Like there's like there is chaos all around us, but we have like a single split staff meeting moment before. And were we going to tell people, maybe you should get involved mm-hmm. <laughs> before this all goes crazy. But yep. I was thinking about those group chats of people going like, there's hope. Like there's a single strand of hope. Like we can get in through this one land port from Tijuana to San Diego and that's it. You know, and uh, at the time everyone was thinking like, is this a loophole to the 100,000 that right. the, the government had put out? Is it, what is this? But let's mm-hmm. just get in before, before it all before shuts down. Yeah. 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 And you know what I forgot, like as a part of like our own story is when we first came back from, from Hungary and Ukraine, Remember, as a church, we had said, let's become the place where people can give money. Yeah. Yes. Like, we, we started as, like, a, like let's be a place where people can give money and we'll support. And so, like, Ben and I were, every morning, even before everybody started coming across, we were wiring money directly over to Ukrainian needs, yeah. you know, vans, yeah. medicines, food. We were doing that the whole time, just as a, I was just remembering that. And then this, like, then this became the whole thing for a time. I mean, even today, as we're filming this, we were wiring money this morning. Like, this is still a big that, part that of... That continued, actually, even during the, the whole thing. Money was still being raised for Ukraine. I remember you telling me, like, oh, my gosh, we have this opportunity to buy a refrigerated truck to get insulin into, into hospitals. I mean, so everything was happening here, but that we didn't stop doing yeah. what we were doing in the country of Ukraine as well. And, I mean, how much money was, has well, been Well, I was raised? just going to ask you, but like, Ben, what have we to date? Do you know? I think, I think we said it was something like $750,000 right. has been raised and, like, almost 600000 has been spent. Is it? Yeah, that's correct. Oh, good. I got my numbers right. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Thanks. Thank you, Ben. ben. Ben loves talking into these kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, you just yeah, think so of that like, like... No further questions, Your Honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like trying to sneak the mic. And that's all I have to say about that, yeah. But I mean, you think about that like in a moment, our church became... And, and we didn't raise that on our own. Like tons of other churches, tons of other groups, people from all over the world have been giving through Calvary San Diego... So that we could like, and that God like uniquely positioned us in a place where we know the needs, we know the people, we know how to get the money there. I mean, all these little factors came into place that was like, thank you, Lord. From the beginning of the war in Ukraine, we felt it was important to mobilize Christians and churches for prayer and finances. The needs have been tremendous across the country and believers have been insanely generous. Our focus in raising money had changed over the weeks and months. In the beginning, our focus was transportation to help people trying to flee from the country. During that time, we saw a major need for medical supplies in some of the hardest hit areas. God opened up some wild connections with people for us to help purchase emergent medical supplies from all across Europe. We sent cancer meds, insulin, and other life-saving medications into Ukraine. We were also involved in funding food and water needs. 
After the initial shock of war, Ukraine began to get its bearings, and food supplies are now provided from within the country. We work hard with agencies like Samaritan's Purse. They purchase the food while teams like ours use vans and trucks to pick up the supplies and deliver them to the hard-hit areas. We see the money that Calvary Chapel and other churches raised as being part of an emergent stopgap at the beginning of the war. Before other relief agencies arrived, the church was already there, ready to help. But we are not a humanitarian aid agency. Once the bigger agencies arrived, we were able to shift focus away from basic supplies to other needs. Now, we are focused on helping prepare for winter. It will be freezing and most of the apartments and buildings in the far east of Ukraine have no heating options. If you want to help support our efforts in helping provide heat and other provisions in Ukraine, go to calvarysd.com forward slash giving or click the giving link in the description of this episode. Well, and I think what it was so humbling and such a privilege that we got to be just the, the ones. And the picture that I had is like, we would have these donations, all these abstract donations we'd have, and specifically fruit. I remember there was a need for fruit. So random groups would donate like bananas or apples or peaches or whatever. And then we'd have people in the in the storage storing it up. And this connects to what you're saying right now. So that the of this, all everyone coming together from all different backgrounds, bringing in, we had a team organizing it. Then we'd have a group of people in the kitchen. I remember Lori Rust working all day in the preschool. Then she'd come and started cleaning the dish, the, the, the veggies, or the, not veggies, the fruit, excuse me. And then we had a, a, a Russian pastor's wife from North County. She came down. She's also like cutting, prepping. So we'd make these. Was that Alicia? Alessia? No, it was uh, uh, Sha- Sasha. Sasha, uh, okay. I'm going to mix her name. Anyway, all these different people, they were washing the fruit, cutting it. You know, we just had this lineup of people chopping fruit. And then there's this beautiful fruit salad, all this tropical fruit, fresh salad that means so much to Ukrainians who've been in winter. And then I would happen to come in, you guys, and I would be like, does anyone need help? Well, yeah, could you bring the fruit bowl into the, the main room? So I would be the one just to carry it <laughs> from the, the, the kitchen into the, the room. I didn't cut it. I didn't buy it I didn't do anything all I did is lift the bowl and carry it in and people were like thank you so much thank you this means so much and I'm going I, I didn't do anything I'm literally just walking it in but that was kind of the not to take away from any of the sleepless nights or you know the things but there was this level of like all I'm doing is this one part. Everyone had such a vital part. Believer, non-believer, a pastor's wife, a preschool teacher. It doesn't matter. It was like everyone was doing their part. And it was just such an overwhelm of like gratitude and privilege. Well, yeah. does anybody, that's, I mean, let's ask the question. Does anybody, we always make that statement like you can never outgive God. Does anybody, when it's all said and done, feel like you outgave God? Not at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Actually, there was, there was this moment, I remember... Pat and a handful of <laughs> Aaron's like actually yes yeah, actually yes yeah. <laughs> I was just I was like what did you say and I looked at her just like yeah no no there was a there was a moment though I remember Pat and a handful of others they were coming in they're like like how are you doing this was probably like day four yeah. into it and and so at that point we hadn't really organized all the teams yet you know yeah. but it was just like and he's like how are you feeling I was like honestly like I've been spent on so many stupid things before in my life like. It is so good to be spent for the Lord. Like there's a, a different joy. There's a different filling. Like I'm, t- I'm tired, yeah. But like believe it or not, my mind is still clear. My body is still functioning. Like everything is still going and firing on all eight cylinders. Like there was just this, 
I don't know if you can explain that outside of the work of the Spirit. Like, you just can't explain that. It's just like God had perfectly kind of set up a, a scenario for us to just work in and then fuel it and then put, add all the elements he wanted into this. It was just such a powerful, powerful thing to witness and be a part of, you know? So you walk away from that and, oh yeah, like even, even when we were slowing down, I think there's those times where you're like, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing with my time? What am I doing? You know, like... What is happening? And then you then you open your inbox and look at your voicemail. And you're like, never mind. Maybe <laughs> maybe I should leave. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like this, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not dealing with this. But it's just those moments where where you realize like, this is supernatural. This is outside mm-hmm. of us. It wasn't our work. It was totally the Lord who jumped into that. Yeah. And the coolest thing is that it it reset. I think all of us to ask the question every day, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And like. And now that the whole thing's over, it's like we're um, we're trying to carry that over into our normal lives of like, Lord, what do I what do you want me to do today? Because it and that was the cool thing is like every day was something new, and you were maybe going to get faced with something you've never lived this day before. And so it was like, Lord, help me. I need your wisdom. I need the Holy Spirit. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Whether it's carrying the fruit salad or making a badge or actually helping a family across. Like yeah. it's like all of it mattered, all you know. Vital. So yeah. yeah, it was really cool. I think that's a good point too, Daryl, of like that every part of it really did matter. And I think all of us felt that. Whether we were driving a family, housing a family, organizing graphics, creating an Amazon list, bringing out a fruit salad. You know, in the back, I mean, so many people that never were out in front, but like it couldn't. And it wasn't just one of those things where you're like, I know it matters, but no, it actually mattered. (laughs) Sometimes we try to convince ourselves. Let's be honest. We're like, I know this matters for the big picture. That's my way of trying to feel good about what I'm doing. This was actually like we knew it was vital to all that God was trying to accomplish in that season. And I think that was the steady ground of like, it's eternally valuable, Mm -hmm. but it's personally just a drop in the bucket. And it kept us not like defeated or like, oh, I'm nothing. I'm just a small speck. But it was like in a very wholesome, healthy way of like, I got to be a part of something so outside of my realm, but it was such, without the, the hand of God, it's just a, it's just a fruit salad, you know, and like, that's just, like, it, but, but in light of what God, it meant so much, yeah. it's the tension of both, of eternal and yet very simple. Well, and I wonder if that's the Christian life. Go ahead. I, I, I just thought like, you know, we, there was a few times when I was just driving people from like point A to point B and, you know, in the moment you kind of think of yourself as like, you're doing something crazy, like, oh my gosh, like this is, you know, this is that. And then you kind of realize like, these guys have been going through this for the past like yeah. two weeks, like in Europe. And, you know, I would ask them like, so, you know, where were you? Well, I was in Ukraine. I got out right away. Most of the people we got came in contact were actually like right away left and were stuck in couch surfing in various places in Europe for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then they finally get to Tijuana and then they have to like wait outside on the grass for like two to three days sunburn you know they've never seen the sun in their life and now they're like experiencing san diego's sun for the first time they don't have i mean they don't have hats they don't have anything and then they finally get in my car and like my perspective going into it is like oh my gosh like this is crazy but it's like i'm literally a small sliver like speaking of like the salad bowl seeing about like i was like literally just a small sliver of that and two like you know, oftentimes we didn't get them at like, we got them like at the relief stage right? because they were right. like, we are in America. Thank God. We've literally fought all their way just to get here. 
and it, it was humbling in the sense of just realizing like, wow, like one, I like these guys have been through the thick of it way more than I am in this moment. I have like two hours of sleep. They have like no sleep in the last five days, you know, with, you know, moms with babies in their hands and everything was just like overload. And then like, I literally got that one moment and, but to also in that moment, just be like, I'm only here because I believe in a God that like cares so much about you is like huge because you know, I, I I didn't go and like share the gospel with every single one of these people necessarily in the car and stuff. That they, they were half of them were just asleep and whatnot. Yeah, you know, what I mean, yeah. as you're driving, but to know that we were just a church that loved Jesus, that were taking them to point A to point B, and that we were there to help them was like it was huge and humbling because like I don't deserve to be in that spot. And in you know? the time that you like, I was so scared. My first drive, they gave me like, oh, just take them here. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't even know what to say. Like it's cannot, you know, Google app can't translate anything because you're driving. But it's like you get that moment to pray because it's like I'm thinking how much desperation, how much faith, how much fear that you got your family, your infant baby. You're sitting in this van. You have no idea who I am. I've been driving for the last 20 minutes. You're still not to your place. What are you thinking? Are you thinking anything? Are you, you know, like, and I'm just like, God, like, and I felt so like, oh, my gosh, this is my moment. I can't get in the accident. I can't do, you know, like, I can't do. Right. You're just thinking all these things like, well, I can pray. I can pray that the next place they get to are just as like supportive and encouraging and, you know, whatever in the next place because you don't know who you're dropping them off to. You know, like you do, but like it's just they don't know anything. Focusing an entire season on what we did during this crisis can be very misleading. In one sense, it could seem like we're expressing all we did during this time. But if you were to ask any one of us staff members, congregants, or outside volunteers, we would all agree. We gained more than we gave. Yes, we housed people, gave rides, and other such things. But what we learned about God's love through our Ukrainian friends is something tangible that we will never forget. This is not a story about a heroic church or a deserving people group. This is a story about how God reached down and touched all of us in the midst of tragedy. One of the things that was like ringing through my ears the whole time, and I'm, I'm so thankful for it. Actually, it was you, Joy, who championed this idea. And it was like so true. It, you'd said, we're not the heroes of this story. Like we're not the heroes of this story. They are. Yeah. And I just, there were so many moments where that had to kind of reorient the focus. Like that's so true. Like the, the story of the single mom who hopped on the train and with one kid and ends up with four kids. And now she's coming through. It's like, come on, like that, that's a war hero, you know? And well, I became an Uber service for her. Like, well, what's the big deal? Or like, oh, you stayed at my house for a night? Like, come on, like put this into perspective. Like, and, and the reality of like, we live in San Diego. Like we, Mm -hmm. like the worst we've seen is like traffic on the 805, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and we're like, oh God, is there a God? You know, like, <laughs> no, the worst we experienced this, was being in San Ysidro and not finding a, a Mexican a shop open. Yeah. You couldn't <laughs> find a taco yeah. shop. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. But, you know, you see, uh, you, you see the difference of, like, just life, yeah. what, what they're facing. And, like, and, and I loved it. I, even that Sunday morning, we walked into it, and someone was like, you know, well, we're fighting our spiritual wars. And Phil was like, no, we're not. Like, don't even <laughs> think like that. Like, just their, actual, their house was just bombed. Yeah. 
like, please shut up. He said it so nicely. Yeah. He said it way nicer than that. Yeah. But he, he <laughs> pretty smacked please shut up. with a yeah. shut up. <laughs> yeah, pretty please shut up. But you know, Luis, I was thinking, in a way, like, you did share the gospel with these people driving. And, that, and they, our friends, our Ukrainian friends that were coming across had the gospel in every single, you know, section. They saw it in Tijuana by people, you know, giving them beds, giving them food, making them food, taking care of them. They saw it, you know, here when they when they came into our church with a smile and fruit salad and, you know, the borscht and you know, we had we had food that they enjoy, that local food. You know, we we gave them all their clothing and, and food and drinks. They saw it in the families that hosted them. They saw it in the drivers. I mean how many times Phil did like like that was the one thing that they saw throughout this whole, throughout Tijuana, San Diego, our families, is they saw the gospel lived out. And I just think it's like perspective. We don't always have to share, you know, by word. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus said, if you're going to give them a cup of water, you did it in my name. And like mm-hmm. we did that. And of course, we were sharing in the word of God. We're, we're, we're praying for them. But they saw it in just the actions of, of the church and were overwhelmed yeah. by it. And that's nothing, that's not anything for us. It's just like the Holy Spirit doing it and working. But they, they, you did preach the gospel in driving that, yeah. in driving that, you know, your Uber ride or whatever. It was, it <laughs> was there. My discount Uber ride. Don't yeah. You know, yeah. Your free, like, your free Uber. Like how about yeah. those guys who, and this is kind of like a throwback, the, the, the making the pilav, you know, oh, like yeah. people were making food for hours, you know, because it was something that they knew they were Ukrainian or Russian. They knew it would bless them yeah. or the, the families making the borscht, you know, I mean, mm. think about you're, you're in Mexico, you've been there for a week or you've been crossing to come to San Diego and all of a sudden you have, you know, pilav or you have, you have borscht oh. and it's like, they were like, oh my gosh, I'm in heaven. And just the love, so just the much. love. Uh, you know, what that represented. I just think that was so powerful. I think like in all of that too, like it's such a good point and that you guys are all making of like the people like, and it, it was like, you know, that telegram group went all the way back to Ukraine. It ended up being like over a hundred thousand people, I think of people. And then, and the, and Calvary, San Diego, safe place. Yeah. We can trust them. Yeah. They would get in a car and not know where they're going. And we'd drive them up into the hills in El Cajon, <laughs> you know, to a house. <laughs> to other group of people they can't talk to and then hope that they're going to end up at the airport to people they can't talk to. I mean, just think of how many layers of like, there's so much trust, trust that yeah. very much is like God give, giving that kind of favor in those moments. In the previous episode, we mentioned the struggle with trust each Ukrainian had to face while crossing the border. And rightly so. They not only persevered through running from a war zone, but also couch surfing from Europe to Mexico, then to America with complete strangers. Ukrainians started fleeing to Mexico after the Biden administration announced they would be allowed in under what's known as humanitarian parole. Most left everything behind, traveling extensively to get to this point. First of all, we arrived to Romania. Uh, We get to Bucharest. From Bucharest, we uh, had a plane on to Madrid from Madrid to Mexico City, and from Mexico City right here to Tijuana. Six weeks ago, they were living normal lives. Going to work, jumping, doing everyday things. Exactly. To pack up what you can fit into a suitcase and leave everything, including your family, I get choked up because they were choked up when we were uh, out there. This is not something people do by choice. It says a lot about a situation when the better option of survival is bringing your family into a complete stranger's home rather than staying in a country during a war. 
For many of our refugee friends, trust was not a luxury of choice, but a necessity of survival. They may not have wanted to trust strangers on their journey to safety, but most had no other option. After crossing into America, many were skeptical of our offer to help because they simply didn't know who we were. But tools like the Telegram group chat reinforced the idea that Calvary San Diego was a place refugees could trust. We were so blown away by all the favor God gave us in bringing amazing volunteers into this operation to make all this possible. But none of us expected this help and trust to also come from the government. You know, I think something like, something, you know, we were on our side dealing with, you know, our own level of chaos was kind of like, still better because we're a local church with an infrastructure than what they had on the Tijuana side. Over there, you know, and something that became really important to us um, right away on the other side was safety from the airport all the way around. What we saw during the Syrian refugee crisis in Hungary was so many problems with trafficking, the fear of trafficking. And here it's like, we can control that just by being present at every choke point, airport, the park, the border, the church, the airport, wherever it might be. And so um, with our team here and then the group of people we really got connected to uh, down in Tijuana, um, we had people at the airport to meet them, to drive them the same Ubers we were doing, you know, free Uber. We were driving them to a park that was right next to the border. And this park went from 20 to 200 to, it was about 600 at its peak. And they were sending me videos, and you know how much I love these little critters. They were sending me videos of the rats in the park. And that's when we're like, something has to give, man. This is like about to burst. The park, which we went into further details in our previous episode, was the initial meeting grounds for the Ukrainians trying to get into America from Tijuana. Although it was very useful in the beginning of this operation, the park quickly became a sanitation and safety issue as occupants grew from the dozens to the hundreds. Ukrainians who have escaped war are now having to wait in long lines at our border with Mexico trying to enter the United States. For a child, something as simple as bubbles helps pass the time at this refugee camp located at a Tijuana bus stop, not far from the San Isidro port of entry. This is where hundreds of Ukrainian refugees have been sleeping nightly as they wait their turn on a growing list of others seeking asylum in the United States. They've seen the number of Ukrainians arriving to our border triple. Ina Levine shot this video Thursday showing the number of tents set up to house Ukrainians waiting in Tijuana near the San Isidro port of entry. Hi. A day earlier, here's what the same area looked like with lots of open space and far less people. The processing has been slowed down on and off. So basically, the backlog is growing exponentially. After Customs and Border Protection announced Ukrainians would be allowed in under humanitarian exemptions, thousands have taken the long journey here to San Isidro, where it's said to be easier to get in compared to elsewhere in the U.S. This is how we got connected to the local government in Tijuana. We needed to find a safe place for the Ukrainians to stay when they got to the San Isidro or Otay borders. The Mexican government had a place that they could stay. What was once an old basketball gym became an overnight housing facility for Ukrainians. 
Border agents are processing hundreds of people who have been camping on the Tijuana side of the San Ysidro port of entry. They're now shuttering the tent city where many of them have been staying in an effort to get refugees into larger indoor spaces in Mexico. This is an image rarely seen. We are inside what's known as the hub, a community gym in Tijuana. Here's where Ukrainian refugees are taken straight from the airport before they go through the immigration process. Inside, nearly every inch of space is being used. Volunteers tell us close to a thousand people are staying here. In that gym that you stumbled upon, that you found, uh, we all thought for days we've been seeing that bus station area, but yet you found a place where there are did you say more than a thousand people packed into that one area? More than a thousand people, and I will say these volunteers are amazing. They're doing everything they can to make these Ukrainians feel welcome and at home. To us, this gym would be called the TJ Hub. Once the TJ Hub was streamlined into the operation, we were able to take refugees from the TJ Airport directly to the TJ Hub rather than the park. This facility was indoors rather than outdoors, and we were able to house thousands of Ukrainians at a time. There, they would have a sleeping mat rather than a small area of ground at the park, food, water, and security. These things were provided by volunteers and the Mexican government every day. There was even a Ukrainian wedding held at the TJ Hub, and Jeremy Camp also led worship for us. Here is Phil and our friend Vlad sharing their appreciation for the TJ Hub after working at the park for weeks. Okay, tell me so the we, story. This was the Secretary of Immigration. She had an idea to open a place for another hub. We didn't want to do it at first because we didn't think it, we needed um, Wi-Fi and buses and security. And stuff, yeah, we didn't have a hot water. Yeah, and they did all of it. Yes. And they yes, did it all in a few hours. And our, so our plumbers, yeah, we, yeah, yeah your plumbers, yeah, 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 our plumbers, yeah, made this here. So 24 hours ago, this was empty. About 24, maybe, maybe like a little more than 24 hours ago, this was empty. And today, how many? 300? No, more, a little bit more than 300. More than 300 people. Close, close. Wow. I mean, this was completely empty. Tomorrow we will help. We will have. We will know how many people exactly we will have here because of the system. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy that we have a restroom here because in Otai we didn't have a restroom. So yeah, people can use restroom, can go to the shower. I hope Monday we'll have a hot water. So yes, a little bit of dignity, a little yes. bit of a little bit of peace. A little, little bit better, a little bit better yes. upgrade. Yeah, for it's the not, people. not perfect, but it's okay. Vlad was a volunteer at the park and the TJ Hub the entire time, and he still works with us today during this crisis. Here is Andy Ziesmer and our friend Anastasia with more on their appreciation for the TJ Hub. Okay, I'm here down in Tijuana right now. We're gonna call this place the Hub. I'm here with some of the Samaritan's Purse people. These guys all came down from different parts of the country and um, there's about 300 people here that were not here literally yesterday. This place was just an empty gym. Um, but it was uh, given to us to utilize by the Mexican government and so, uh, the, the system down here is working. It, we suspect there's a lot more people coming, but what a cool opportunity to see this in action. So we set up everything in four hours yesterday. Can you imagine that? I can't. I did that, but I can't. I don't know how we did that. I have no idea what was going on, but we just did it. Wow. You know, just did it. Yeah, in the kitchen, everything. Everything. Yeah, thanks God to all people who donate, who call me the whole day. Today I'm on the phone with the computer. Yesterday, whole night, like everybody, hey, we need food. Hey, da 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 da, you know. So people are crazy helping. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
The TJ Hub was definitely an answer to prayer and is yet another example of how God showed us favor by allowing the Mexican government to trust us with this task. You know, I think another part of our story that we could talk about is the connections and relationships that we had with government people. All the favor God gave in that area of... You know, we, we were connected to, like, I remember the, hearing, oh, the mayor of Tijuana wants to help out. And then it bypassed that person to the undersecretary of immigration for right. the state of, you know, the, the region of Tijuana. Um, her name is Adriana Minerva, and she was a gift. Yeah. Ever, I mean, she's still in our chats. And, right. and the, the, the Mexican government opened up a rec center. And I remember going down to see this place, and they're like, we want to move everybody away from the park into this rec center. And we're like, no, not until it's all set up. And they said, we'll be set up in two hours. Yeah, we asked them for a Wi-Fi. It was like, Wi-Fi. by the time we were leaving, those guys were coming in. Yeah, we were leaving and the Wi-Fi dudes were coming in. We needed beds. They brought in more beds. At its peak, 3,500 people slept there. It was in hours. I think within four hours, the whole place was full of beds full. and the Wi-Fi and everything. Yeah. Here is Andy again interviewing Phil at the TJ Hub about the needs of Wi-Fi that were provided by the Mexican government. One of the big needs here is Wi-Fi, right? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, because, you know, if people have Wi-Fi, they need Wi-Fi because if they don't have Wi-Fi, they can't connect with their family that's across the border and get things set up to get their family to come down to pick them up or to buy tickets. So Wi-Fi is their way, that's their lifeline right now to being connected to the rest of the world. Here is Phil again, talking with our staff about the importance of moving people from the park to the TJ Hub. But it was about a three-day process from the Tijuana airport to getting into San Diego. Three days, and they were outside. So, and if you guys remember how weird the weather was, it was like raining and cold and then like burning up. So these Ukrainians went from like, yeah, that was all good. And then all of a sudden it was like, 100 degrees or, you know, 80 degrees, but it's a San Diego 80. It was hot. So this rec center became the new San Diego hub. We were the San Diego hub. The rec center became the Tijuana hub. And that became a massive operation all on its own that we, thank God, we weren't the ones doing that. There was a great group of people. And that's like the the, the amount of just beautiful organization out of chaos. Yeah, Yeah, like Jeff, you know, from La Gloria, he was a a godsend. I mean, those guys just threw in on the TJ side, yep. right? Yep, and then and I was, I was thinking of when you said that, I was thinking also of Jet, oh, yes, yeah. who was um, with the Consul General's office who kind of reached out to us like, how can I help? Well, Phil, and, I was thinking back to that first story of like when we were finally set up here and we're going down to meet with Adriana the first time and it, I think it was all three of us, right? We go down there and at that time we were like calling all of these Tijuana churches like trying to get some support. We just Somebody, needed help yeah. down there and we get messages from people like, oh yeah, like let's sit down and pray about it next week or like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't want to shame them but at the same time it's like, dude, like we, need we needed you we needed you yesterday. Yesterday, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I need you to just show up. Like, is there anything we can do? I'm like, yeah, I need six cars, six drivers. I need host homes. I need food. Yeah. I need, and they're like, yeah, well, we'll take a moment and bring it to the board. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, God, kill me. But anyway, so we get down there, and we were trying to meet with Calvary uh, Tijuana. That's right. And Calvary Tijuana was willing to jump in and help, but at that same time, that's where Adriana kind of met at the border there. Yep. And then comes up and meets at Calvary Tijuana there with all of us. And it was like this, this weird moment at first, because we didn't really know what they were offering, Mm-mm. and we're like, oh, gosh, like, is this where we all get, you know, 
cartel traffic. Exactly. Like, whatever, you know, like, where's your credentials, lady? Because anywhere she'd go, remember? Like, streets just opened. It was like it Moses. Was, yeah. She parted oh, yeah. the seas. Really? Uh, yeah, she you made can't things park happen. in front we of the just, airport. Like, jumped we in, park, yeah. she tosses a little magnet on the side of it, and everyone's like, <laughs> yes, ma'am. And it was, oh, it was on. We're just like, all right, we are in the presence of greatness. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it was. It Remember, was she kept intense. taking us to places like, oh, oh what about yeah. this place? What oh, about that place? theater. Remember that movie theater? Movie theater. Yeah, like, movie theater. Like, like, yeah no, this isn't going to work. Oh my god, it's freezing in here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and ice block. And the like, amount of like was. people like that that just like doors opened, just well, doors it. opened, and there was like this joint thing where people wanted to help. And I think even on the U.S. side, like. There was not, it wasn't Democrat or Republican on the, on the Mexico side. It wasn't a political parties, yep. you know, issue. Everybody wanted to help. I think a question that we were asked a lot, and I feel like we talked about it before we were asked. I think we had a meeting where we said like, people are going to start asking us, yeah. is this fair? What's happening for Ukrainians? It's not happening for Guatemalans, Haitians, Hondurans, so on and so forth. And I think, I feel like the Lord gave us that like wisdom before it became a thing to tell people it's not fair. Yeah. It's not fair. We, we don't have answers to the big problems of it all. But we do see Ukrainians are getting a treatment that other people are not getting. Whether or not that's right or not, we don't decide those issues. Yeah. Right? But we certainly... We're going to help everyone. Yeah, we'll, yeah. And, we'll help And this was our season to help yeah. them. Yeah. And I think in that, what, what was really powerful, at least on my end, is I didn't look up for the for the next month and so when you come out of that to then see the political climate again and realize like this is what's being said about russia this is what's being said about ukraine and this is that you're like i was actually shocked by mm -hmm. it because i was like i just had people you know i just had people in front of me yeah, that needed right. to be served but then i came out of that like my bubble was kind of popped and i'm in this now political new political climate and i'm going oh my gosh i didn't realize what was being tossed back and forth and i think even in amongst our staff there's, there are different political opinions yeah. even here, but that didn't matter in the mix of it because it wasn't even close to a political thing. And like, it, you, you may hear this and be like, oh, wow, this is how I feel about Ukraine. It's like, but how I feel about Ukraine is not how I felt about the Ukrainian people. Right. And, and that's, that's a totally different ball game, you know? It was an eye-opening experience, I think, for a lot of guys in our church, too, who have maybe you see things as an issue. You're like, well, this issue or that issue, and all of a sudden... They're housing the people in their homes. Yes. And then it, and it did make, I've heard from most of the guys and gals who are, can be really rigid about policy issues. Yep. And they're like, gosh, it's made me have to rethink yeah. all of that. It's changed them. It's yeah. changed them. And we see it at church better. still. It's changed them. It's that it's not about that issue or that thing. But back to these political people, it was amazing how like you felt like, what world am I in where they're asking us questions about like, well, how should we do this? And how can we do this? We had this 19-year-old Russian kid serving at a church in Sacramento. His name was Eric. He's an amazing dude. And he built, like he was considered this, you know, IT guru. And, you know, he built a system for like giving a numbering system to every Ukrainian that comes in. This is how I was being told about this kid. He's given a number to every Ukrainian that comes in and, and they follow it all the way through. And the U.S. government was like, well... We'll use your numbering system if it works. This was the beginning of it. And I, I, I was in there just saying, it'll work. If you'll use our system, we'll make sure it works. I don't know what I'm talking about. But... And this kid. Americans. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and this kid, Eric, he comes up to me and he says, Pastafil, do you know a program named Planning Center Online? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, we use we it use every it. week for church. And he goes, that's what I'm using. <laughs> I took Planning Center 
and I converted it a little bit to work for, you know, and it's just the free. I'm like, do you have to pay for that? Because I'll pay for that so you don't have to. He goes, no, I'm using the free version of that. <laughs> so I can't wait to tell Planning Center how we used. And and no joke from how that How the U.S. Day, government used. Yeah, from that day on, the Mexican government and the U.S. Yes. government used Planning Center online. They didn't free know version. it. But we tracked you guys, and then the, and the, and the um, Border Patrol told me our numbers were v- more accurate than theirs. Wow. It was over 25,000 people that came through. That one um, month. In that one month across this one border. And that's when we started the tracking. Right. So there was people before yeah. that, you know, certainly probably hundreds. But up to that point, you know, you're talking about 25,000 people that came across, you know. Um, I think we found a, 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 a unity in a way we never expected, you know, between church and state. Yeah. yeah. You know, that I think like there's this always this vibe of like, oh, they're not going to be for us. And, you know, from day one at Pedestrian East, we knew we needed to get a permit to be there. In fact, they reminded us every day. (laughs) You know, the police were like, where's your permit? Where's your permit? So Ben and I got on and started making phone calls. I started, I called our mayor's office. I had just met with her about our Better Together Easter egg hunt that was coming up. So I made the call and said, hey, I need some help. You know, and and it's funny because we started super timid and we ended like, Where's our congressman? I need to talk to them right now. I'm not their assistant. I, <laughs> it's funny how things so change, true. you know. Uh, but in the beginning, it was like, you know, Madam Mayor, can you help us in any way? Well, let me see what I can do. And then we started the process of getting a permit at Pedestrian East. Yeah. Literally about two days before we got that permit, it all moved to Pedestrian West. And the whole thing started over again there. So over there, when we talk about Pedestrian West, at that point, so that we kind of timeline ourselves forward a little bit. By the time it came to Pedestrian West now, this was a border only opened for Ukrainians. Right. Nobody else. It was not an open border. It was a closed border only opened for Ukrainians. And this, they called us the day before. Border Patrol actually called us and said, hey, we're, don't tell the press, don't tell anybody, but we're moving the border to Pedestrian West. Can you be present? I need a life that I I don't need an answer that makes sense No, I don't need to know what happens next Cause I trust you And I'll trust you with it all
That was Nothing I Do by The New Device. You can find their music on any music platform. Before we conclude this episode, we have The New Divide's lead singer, Andy Ziesmer. Andy is one of our good friends. He is the founder of A Jesus Mission, and he also just released a new film called Into Ukraine. This film documents what A Jesus Mission did in response to Russia's war on Ukraine. So we have Andy here. We're excited that you're here. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm so good. Thanks for having me, Kia. Yeah, yeah, we're excited to have you. You were here with us during that time uh, when the Ukrainians were crossing the border, coming into San Diego. We were all working together. And I just want to know what your experience was. How was it for you? Yeah, that first few days when people started crossing, uh, specifically regarding the experience in San Diego, that first few days when people started crossing, I remember getting a call from Phil. He's like, hey, you live on mission. Get down here. Where are you? <laughs> and so I was on the next flight down and, and getting to work alongside the church, not even just San Diego Calvary Chapel, but the, the global church to be a part of the response was, I mean, I don't know how any of us will live our lives the same after experiencing that because we saw things, we heard things, we experienced people in, in such a new way. Um, I, think, I think that's my takeaway is I'll never be able to live out my Christian faith the same way I did for years because one, the sovereignty of God on full display like it's been, and then two, understanding what it means to to be the church uh, in the moment that the world needs the church to step up. That's, I think, been my, my biggest takeaway from the entire thing. Even whether I was down in Tijuana uh, in the gym or, or, or working the late night shift, checking in people as they arrived, like the, I, those 20 hour days were some of the most impactful days that I can, that are on record for me. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're saying just reminds me of the name of our first episode, Without Hesitation. And that was just how we decided to highlight how the local church immediately responded to Russia's war on Ukraine. How do you think you guys express this theme in your film? Yeah, so we made this film into Ukraine. It's called, the tagline is literally just a story of being the church in a war zone. Um, Because I think that's what we wanted to highlight. It wasn't what our ministry did or what Calvary San Diego did or what any one people group or church did. It it is a picture of the church stepping up. Um, I, I think that that first two or three weeks of people mobilizing, the church was able to mobilize faster than anyone could have imagined. Uh, whether it was people opening up their homes to host or um, our team getting people on the field. In the first um, literally week, we had like, I think, 10 people crawling the borders of Romania and Hungary and, and Poland going, how do we get involved? How do we be the church? But I know simultaneously while we were doing that, our organization, a Jesus Mission, there was other people doing the exact same things and we all just found a lane and got to work. And I think that's a good picture of being the hands and the feet really is like we just learned a thing that we could do, that we had the capacity to do. At that time, we didn't have the capacity to do anything. But I think the film tells kind of the story of God's provision, uh, one, by the church stepping up across the world and helping provide. Um, yeah, I, I guess coming back to your question, though, I kind of got off topic a little there, but the, the, the reality is like 
the film is about the church's response, not about what a Jesus mission or any one person or any one hero did. It's, it's how the church, and specifically the church inside the borders of Ukraine, responded. And because of that, we're seeing literally thousands of people not only have their lives saved, but come to Christ. Yeah, like you're talking about all these little small places all these churches yeah. being an aid agency right and yeah. that was like the, that's the that's the title of our second episode is the yeah. aid agency how the church how the local church stepped up and how they yeah. were responding to the needs in ukraine mm-hmm. and you kind of touched on that already but how do you see these in your film as well yeah so the film it's it's about 45 minutes long and what it does is it tells the story of how the church immediately responded but then how it kind of expanded and how it became an aid agency essentially we 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 had never been an aid organization we're a missionary care organization we focus on sending people to where god's called them to be well for this moment in time that place happened to be the front lines of the war zone and so uh the aid that we began to supply was the really practical stuff. We don't speak Ukrainian. (laughs) None of our volunteers, which we had over 100 volunteers come and serve with us already inside Ukraine uh, and in Romania serving refugees. That becoming an agency of aid (laughs) as the church is really us just leaning into what God's called us to be already. And so in the film, you see that because you see um, normal people, not, not superstars, not not people with the qualifications that the world would expect, but just random nobodies stepping up and meeting needs. That's what it means for the church to become an aid agency. That's how we declare the gospel to the world is by showing the gospel to be true in unity. When the church is unified, we exemplify to people that we actually believe the things we say we believe. And so that's how we became an aid organization overnight (laughs) to this moment Kia, just a Jesus mission with our tiny little group of vans, which you can hear the story of that in the film. We've delivered over half a million pounds of food to within five kilometers of Russian occupation. Like we go to right to where the villages that are being, you know, liberated. We're going right to those villages and, and meeting them with food in the first hours and days of them having their liberation. And so that, that again, is just a picture of us being the church and responding and becoming an aid organization just by demand, by the, the situation demanding it, and us knowing that through that context, we can share the hope of the gospel. And that's what I loved about the film. I love that it was average, everyday people who were just yeah. passionate about the people around them. And I, I loved yeah. it. And I'm so glad. Thank you for that raw footage and yeah. putting that film together and being able to serve with you on the front here was yeah. amazing too. So thank you so much, Andy, for all you do. Just yeah, so- it's an honor to serve Jesus alongside you guys. <laughs> so can you tell the people where they can find this film into Ukraine? Yeah, the easiest place is just go to ajesusmission.org uh, or you can find links to it right there. Um, it's a 45-minute film about how the church inside Ukraine and outside responded. And so, yeah, ajesusmission.org. You can also find it on YouTube, uh, but ajesusmission.org is the easiest and quickest place. Thank you, Andy, for being on the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode of Crossing Cultures. Before we end today's episode, here is a quick look at Andy's new film, Into Ukraine. That song that says, where were you when they crucified my Lord? And, and the question the Ukrainian people are asking is, where were you when they crucified us? 
and that's how we feel right now as as lives tens of thousands of lives are being snuffed out the beauty of the gospel is a gospel that is like god himself he's the suffering god he he enters into his world to suffer with the people and just like jesus was crucified on a cross he did that willingly and the the children of god as we see in the scriptures there is a suffering theology theology of suffering where the fragrance of christ is made beautiful as 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 lives are being destroyed into ukraine a story of being the church in a war zone. You have been listening to Crossing Cultures. If you would like to give to help support the efforts in helping Ukraine during this war, you can go to calvarysd.com forward slash Ukraine Belief or click the link in the description of this episode. This episode was produced by Phil Metzger and edited by Luis Lopez. This podcast is a ministry of Calvary San Diego. I'm your host, Kia Lopez, and stay tuned for our next episode of Crossing Cultures available October 21st on any podcast platform.